When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Hope you're doing good. Hope you're doing well. This is our press box show in which I'm joined by a colleague of ours over at football.london. Very happy to be joined by Kaya Karnak. How do you mate? You good? You well? I'm very good. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. How are you, How are you doing, even? Yeah, not bad. Uh, suffering through uh, COVID at the moment, but other than that, it's all, oh, no, it's all good. Yeah, but well, I'm pretty asymptomatic at this point, so uh, thankfully uh, it's not doing. I've, people are going to start thinking I'm really asking for attention because this has been brought up <laughs> on pretty much every show now so far. Um, but no, other than that, all good and uh, looking forward to Thursday's game, of course. But before yeah. we get to that, we do need to discuss what happened at the weekend, guys. First time I've been able to speak to you since. Uh, we absolutely dominated Brentford and then gave them a, a polite goal at the end of the fixture just to you know, make it seem a little bit closer than it was. What was your reaction to the uh, to the win in the end? Yeah, the word you used there, dominant. Um, from start to finish, well, not finish, start to one minute before the finish, I think Carson were by far the superior team. They were clearly going to um, break Brentford down. It was a matter of time, really. I I don't think Brentford offered too much. I was, I was a little bit disappointed with them, having seen them earlier in the season. I know they've got injuries and stuff, but I was hoping for a little bit more, maybe a little bit more bravery in terms of tactics. They just sat back and packed the box with, I don't know, how many six-foot-plus defenders. And it's a tactic that works for a long period of time, but um, Arsenal were deserved winners on the day. Saka's going to grow two lovely goals and plenty of good performances all around. So, yeah, a very, a very good day for Arsenal, even if results elsewhere were a little bit frustrating on the day. But from an Arsenal mm. perspective, pretty good. Yeah, no, obviously it was disappointing watching the game that followed. Um, but look, it's a token victory for Spurs against City. They always get a result against them. So it's nothing that we haven't uh, been previously exposed to. But yeah, look, there were some interesting things that went on during the game. Um, in particular, a, a kind of a mountain out of a molehill towards the end with the substitution uh, that saw Alexandre Lacazette go off. Um, I've seen your tweets that you've put out clearing up and since the, the article, of course, that you wrote on, on FL about kind of the situation... To, to kind of sum things up for you, there is no controversy around this at all, is there? No. I mean, it's, it seems strange to say in the week that Storm Eunice happened that this is the biggest storm in a teacup that we've had. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. I, 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 I wasn't even aware it was an issue until I, I went home, uh, finished watching the City game, and then sort of went back on Twitter, and I was like, ah, yeah, this, this appears to be a thing. And mm. I think... Um, a lot of a lot of people sort of saw Jacker involved and thought I, they can jump on this, especially from the media perspective. Um, I think Sky Sports coverage was a little bit sort of commenting before knowing all the events, um, mm. which is you know, that happens. Look, Piers Morgan jumping on it. Um, a lot of Arsenal sort of jumping on it as well. It sort of it seemed like maybe they were looking for a negative uh, from that performance because I don't think there really were any. It's literally just a case of Lacazette was shouting to Tierney. Tierney didn't hear him because he was. Yeah. Lacazette was getting a standing ovation from the Emirates. It's pretty loud in there, contrary to popular opinion. And uh, yeah, mm. that was it really. And I don't think Jacker did anything wrong, but he seems to have come with criticism. And I, I have my issues with Granit Jacker, the player. 
Um, but I think you can only really criticize him when he's actually done something wrong. And mm. in that instance, he, he very much did nothing wrong. But um, I think it's important that we're all sort of a little bit measured in that criticism that we give them. Yeah, I mean, you say there it was, a, it was a bit of a storm in the teacup, but it has revealed probably a bit the biggest hint towards what we can expect next season in regards to captaincy because Kieran Tierney was the next in line after Lacazette. Lacazette's expected to leave at the end of this season when his contract expires. So do you think that we can pretty much nail on Tierney to be captain or do you think there are still other candidates that could still get the pick over him? Yeah, I mean, Tierney has worn the armband briefly before. I think there was a, a game earlier this season against Liverpool where he did that, and that was um, another, another hint. And yeah, I guess that's probably something we can say um, with relative certainty now, as it seems Kieran Tierney is going to be the next captain. We, um, Chris and myself, reported that he was part of the leadership group, um, I think, mm. in, I want to say, August last year. So that's yeah. uh, he's been big. He collects the fines. Um, he's respected within the dressing room. You know, he's that kind of character. My issue with Tierney is I don't, I've never been a fan of having players who are captains who aren't in the middle of the pitch. I just think that, that doesn't make quite much sense. And I think mm. sometimes on the pitch, Tierney can be a little bit quiet. Um, he's not always the most vocal. We all saw that video after the North London derby of Tierney sort of demanding uh, his players do more. But sometimes he can be a little bit quiet, a little bit shy. And I think sometimes from a captain, you need a bit more charisma. Um, yeah. Do you think you could bring it out of him, if anything? Possibly. Possibly, but um, he's been at Arsenal for a while now, and I think if it's not happened yet, it probably isn't going to happen. He's not like that when he's with Scotland either. He's he's very hardworking, very diligent, very professional. But mm. I think we're talking about sort of vocal leaders within the Arsenal dressing room. I don't think Kieran Tierney's necessarily one of them. I think someone like um, Martin Odegaard makes more sense, and uh, Arteta spoke a little bit about Odegaard potentially as a captain. Um, mm. After the game, Odegaard's not afraid to pass people around on the pitch. He's stylistically very in tune with what Arteta wants, very professional, uh, very hardworking, very well-respected within the club. So I think that would probably be my pick if I had to if I had to make one. Um, but listen, it seems like Kieran Tierney is next in line. Something could change between now and the end of the season because Arteta's been clever by not really committing to anything. And, you know, yeah. it could happen. But I think by making Tierney next in line, he seems to have sort of already indicated what his plans are after all. It was interesting to see the way in which we're kind of now changing the midfield as well. We, we mentioned Xhaka, and Xhaka's kind of got this new role in the midfield at the moment. We're seeing Thomas Partey given the responsibility of being the deep soul central midfielder. Partey playing behind Granit Xhaka, who's kind of skewed to that left-hand side. And, and Odegaard's kind of moved away from the out-and-out number 10 to be more of this kind of hybrid eight on the right-hand side to support Bukayo Saka. When you've got a more disciplined right-back like Tommy Asu, it makes sense to kind of have more responsibility, I suppose, from your attacking midfielder on the right-hand side. Do you think this is kind of the way in which we're setting up to prepare possibly for the type of midfielder that they're going to want to look to bring in during the summer window? I do, yeah. I think I think that's the kind of player who Arsenal are going to let's bring in a central midfield. I think in terms of... Uh, Arteta's always said that he wanted to have a 4-3-3 formation and that seems to have happened sort of by stealth mm. in recent games. And uh, yeah. I think that's, that's, that's good for Arsenal. I think they look a lot more controlled in possession. They look a lot more balanced on both sides of attack. Um, Jacker offers a lot defensively, but I do wonder in a game like Brentford whether it really makes sense to have another defensive presence where you've already got Thomas Partey and Brentford weren't really mm. showing too many signs of wanting to come forward. In maybe a bigger game, you want someone like a Jacker in there, but listen, if Roma do come in for him again this summer, as um, our colleague Chris Fruity has reported, then, you know, I think if he does end up leaving, then that's the kind of midfielder Arsenal are going to 
looked to get a slightly more advanced left-sided midfielder, someone like a Hussein Awar maybe, uh, even though I think mm. that ship may have sailed, I think makes the Fabian yeah. Ruiz, players like that. If they can find someone like that with maybe just a touch more defensive discipline or a touch more defensive now, they seem to have found the perfect Mikarteta player, but that's something we're going to see explored over the summer. Yeah, it's interesting seeing these reports to Fabian Ruiz and, and the Mirror reporting that representatives have met with his agents to kind of discuss what his demands are at this stage. So that's really interesting. I like Ruiz a lot. I'm someone that I've kind of championed over the last year or so and seeing what he could bring to the Arsenal team because he's very similar to Xhaka in kind of in terms of his like the frame of him. He's slow, left-footed uh, and quite tall. But characteristically, in terms of his traits, he's a lot you know, better technically than than what Xhaka is, really good progressor with the ball. Doesn't take away if you take out Xhaka any of what you lose in, in Xhaka's passing because Ruiz is a fantastic passer with the ball and actually defensively can still, you know, put his put his shift in and, and, and does so for Napoli as well. So he's someone that I like. The other name, of course, that you didn't mention is, is Yuri Tielemans that continues to be linked, another player with a year left on his deal. Great pass in the game uh, that got towards uh, the assist for, for Lookman against Wolves as well. Really fantastic footballer, but is struggling for form at the moment. Have you, like quite a lot of people I've seen on social media, have been put off by his form this season? Because it has dipped in the in, like, the uncertainty around his future. Um, I don't know about that. I think my issue with Tienemans has always been defensively. Um, his form has fluctuated a bit this season, but I think all of Leicester's form has fluctuated a bit this season. So, if Leicester were playing really well and challenging for the top four, but Tielemans still wasn't playing well, then I think I'd be worried. But the whole mm. team has suffered really with Leicester. I think they've got a lot of injuries. Um, their defence is really, really poor. Um, and I think it has been for a while. I think they've just had some good players who were able to cover it up. And I think Brendan Rodgers, maybe sometimes naivety tactically, is being exposed a lot this season. I think a lot of managers mm. have wised up to it. And um, I think... Team have been suffering as a result. I think he'll want to move on to a bigger club, and Arsenal would appear to make sense. I think he can play on that left-sided role, um, play it quite well, and maybe is a little bit more box-to-box than some of the players we've linked. We, we mentioned already in terms of athleticism and uh, mm. that kind of stuff. But um, no, I'm not too worried about Tiemann's. I think defensively is my big issue with him, and if if he can work on that, I'm sure Mikel Arteta would would help him to work on that. But um, that would be my big concern over him. Not really his form so far this year. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that it's it's, it's difficult to not look past form sometimes and, and not see it as, as kind of pedigree, but I do think that he's heavily affected by the struggles of the, of the players around him and Leicester's injury struggles as well and the emphasis being put on him to do so much work in that midfield. But at Arsenal, it would be a very different environment. I'd, I'd love to see it happen. I'd love to see him flourish in, in an Arsenal team. Um, in the striker department, Arsenal's need for goals wasn't helped narratively by uh, the events of Barcelona against Valencia at the weekend, seeing Aubameyang get, well, I say get a hat-trick, kind of awarded a hat-trick in a way by the little uh, flick-off. I think it was, was it Gavi or Pedri's shot? that Pedri, the, yeah. Pedri uh, struck into the roof of the net. Um, how have you kind of gauged the reaction to, to seeing that and a lot of the criticism that's fallen out from that, from my perspective, and you may not have seen it, but I've seen a fair amount of criticism fall out from this towards Arteta uh, and the club for therefore then not bringing in someone to replace the goals lost by Aubameyang. Um, I haven't actually seen any of that criticism. Maybe mm. I need to... You're lucky. <laughs> yeah, I <know>. <laughs> Clearly I follow the wrong group. <laughs> it's a sentence you should never really say, but maybe I need to spend some more time on Twitter. Um, I think... Mm. <laughs> yeah, maybe not, maybe not. Um, I, I personally think letting Aubameyang go made sense, especially given um, the fact that Barcelona were willing to take him on a permanent basis. I think you've got someone's 
uh, wages off the bill and he was a very high wage earner. I think we all know that. Um, stylistically, wasn't quite fitting with what Arteta wanted. Appeared to be slightly on the downward curve. But we all, we all, we all knew this was coming. We all knew Aubameyang was going to score goals at Barcelona. He is a goal scorer. Like, wherever he goes, he was going to score goals. And the fact that he's gone to Barcelona and is doing that, it was inevitable. We all know that Lacazette isn't as prolific a goal scorer. Um, we all know that that's going to be an issue probably for us until the end of the season. We're probably going to have similar conversations each week that Lacazette doesn't score. Mm. But I, I think to criticise Arteta and Arsenal um, for not bringing in someone may be fair, but would you rather, my question to those people would be, would you rather they brought someone in who was wrong for the long term and then they're stuck with him? Or would you rather they brought someone in who was right in the summer mm. who really does take the team to the next level? I think, I know which one my answer would be. I know some people might um, have wanted sort of the short-term success over the long-term sort of projects or anything like that, which is fine. Yeah. But um, I think you have to respect the way Arteta and Eddie are trying to do things. And if you have an issue with that, fine. But maybe wait until the end of the season to see if Arsenal come top four. Because if they do come top four, it kind of doesn't matter whether Aubameyang wasn't there to score or not. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. I think time will tell whether that criticism's valid. But for me, I think that it can be justified as a decision. Maybe they should have brought someone in. But if there was no one out there, then what's the point in just bringing someone in for the sake of it? Yeah, it's, it's always going to be about the personnel and whether the right profile of player was available for what they are after. And as you said, if we get top four, it's going to be forgotten completely. And then we'll be excited to see who comes in in the summer, of which we'll tackle that much closer to the summer window. And we've got more information about what is going on at the club and where we finish as well. Speaking of which, to round off the show, we did mention briefly Spurs getting that win over City, which was a huge result for them, although all, not all that surprising considering their record against Man City. One win City have got in the last six Premier League games is a ridiculous record. And yeah. Spurs have had four different coaches across those six games as well. So it's not like it's an Antonio Conte masterclass or anything. It's, it does happen fairly often. But obviously it does bring up the conversation about our hopes for top four and the likelihood of achieving top four. Without going and asking you outright, do you think we'll do it? How optimistic are you feeling about this this race and, and where we currently sit in the table? Pretty optimistic. I, I'm going to say something which might, out of context, be taken to sound a bit weird, but I actually think Arsenal play better against Man City than Spurs did when they played yeah, against Man City. I agree with you. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people will accuse me of bias, and fair enough, I, I probably won't be able to convince them. But uh, I just think that Spurs, I don't think they actually did too much necessarily spectacular to stop Manchester City. I think they just came up against a City side who didn't have their shooting boots on, who appeared quite quickly to get quite panicked about the fact that they couldn't score. They seemed to be rushing things, which isn't really the way they do things. Um, So, I don't know. Uh, And also, conceding that goal right at the end was just... uh, Listen, it it was was a ridiculous goal to concede, and I think it was a really poor piece of individual defending. Ruben Diaz seems to never have a bad game, has a bad game against Spurs. So, I think that's just something that can happen. Um, what does it mean for the top four race? I think it shows that none of us can afford to get too far ahead of ourselves because I think if, if we were looking at sort of probability and all that kind of stuff, all of us would have had Man City away down as an almost definite loss for Spurs. It turned out to be a win for them. So I don't think we can get too carried away. Arteta was quite good on it, I thought, when he was asked after the game. He'd just go game by game and all Arsenal can do is win the next match. And if they keep doing that until the end of the season, they'll be in the top four, no doubt. So they've still got games against Spurs and Man United. Um, I think if they can get maybe four points out of those two games, yeah. uh, then they should be should be on course for the top four just because they seem to have a lot of consistency against smaller teams, which is something that Man U 
uh, Spurs and West Ham, of course. I don't want to be disrespectful to them. None of those three seem to have that consistency over the smaller teams right now, whereas Arsenal have always seemed to manage uh, this season at least to get the wins. I think maybe Brentford obviously in the opening end of the season and since that Everton on yeah. Burnley as well are the only games you can think of where they probably were favourites going into it and they didn't win. So I mm. think that's going to really serve Arsenal in good stead uh, going to the end of the season. I, I back them for top four. Maybe uh, I don't want to don't want to jinx it, but I would probably just about make them favourites at this point. Um, yeah. But we'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I'm loving the fact that a lot of pundits are saying that we're not, and I, th- yeah. I love I love the fact that we're we're still being you know downtrodden and, and and told we have no hope of achieving it because look, it enables us to focus on ourselves. It removes the pressure because if people aren't expecting it to happen, then you know we haven't got that expectation rolling on our shoulders like other teams like Man United and and arguably a lot of people look at Antonio Conte as that driving force for them. Hopefully failing, um, but you know for Antonio Conte being there and pushing them towards the top four. I, I look at the games that we got coming up as well, and just I, I know that we didn't want to do too many predictions, but I was asked this question last night, and it was a really interesting one. You got Wolves uh, at home, Watford away, Leicester at home, Liverpool uh, at home, Aston Villa away, Palace away, Brighton at home, and Southampton uh, away before playing Man United. But those next seven games in the league, which obviously you could see a North London derby maybe rescheduled in there, or in the Chelsea game as well, possibly. But those seven games. Liverpool is obviously the standout one that you would say, if we lose that game, I'm not going to be up in trees or anything else and losing to Liverpool. But those other six are very winnable. And I was asked the question of those seven games, what should we expect from a, a side that wants to get top four? And it's very hard not to say 18 points from 21. As, But we know that football isn't like that, and that's the problem. But if we have hopes of top four, what do you feel is a fair expectation from a possible 21 points? Uh, tricky. Very tricky. Mm, very difficult yeah. question. Because um, I think if you look at them individually, uh, if Arsenal were to get a point against Wolves, for example, I don't think mm. anyone, I think obviously we'd be a little disappointed that it wasn't three, but I think given how well Wolves are playing and yeah. where they are on the table, I think people would kind of be fine with that. I think saying maybe Villa away, Villa are a good side, although they're not in the best form at the minute. Uh, if you get a point away at Villa, is that the end of the world? But in the context of how tight it is in the top four, I think you're probably right. I think you do need to be getting close, as close as possible to maximum points in those six out of seven yeah. games. Um, maybe you can afford to draw one, just about. But I think Arsenal know that. And you could see by the celebration at the end of the Wolves game, they know that they can't really be getting draws instead of wins. They need to be winning games. You're not actually allowed to call it celebration? because Sorry, it's, the, 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 scenes, the scenes. Yeah, scenes, sure. Yeah. Scenes is fine. <laughs> <laughs> the events, the events at the end of the Wolves game. But listen, if uh, if there's a similar similar events at full time mm. on, on Thursday night, I think everyone will be very happy with it. Um, yeah, it, it's weird because if you look seven games into the future, it's such a long time, and so much can change. And Arsenal could have another ten red cards in that time. They could have injuries galore. Mm. Who knows what? So things can things can change very quickly in that time. But um, we'll wait and see. I, I'd probably be on a similar page to you, though, close to eighteen as possible. Yeah, I do hope if we do manage to get a victory over Wolves that they take the opportunity to go absolutely mental. I really do hope that they need to be Yeah, just, oh, it does. I, I wrote a piece on that the other day, kind of about how Arsenal have long memories. And look, we are clearly taking on board these yeah. little quips and comments that are made by opposition players and pundits and coaches. And, you know, 
I like it. I like being the bad guy sometimes and, you know, being the team that no one necessarily likes because it gives you that added kind of verve and, and reason and motive to to push forward. So, yeah, it's great. Um, Kaya, thank you so much, mate, for coming on the show. As always, tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. That's my pleasure. I am on uh, Twitter at KayaKayaNet97 and then I'm also on Facebook, KayaKayaNet Journalist. I'm working, well, I've just published a line on a Milsmith Road, essentially being a false nine. So that can be mm. quite cool to check that out. Uh, what else have I been doing? I've got some stuff on Martin Odegaard, essentially being a captain for tonight. And then press conference stuff coming Wednesday, Wolves Thursday, all the usual good stuff around the game as well, which will, of course, be on the London website. Lovely stuff. Uh, make sure you do give Kai a follow on Twitter at KaiKai97. You can follow myself at Tom Canton Media and the Arsenal Way at the Arsenal Way N5. And you keep up to date with all of the written work, as Kai says, at football.london. We'll see you very, very soon for the next show. Drop a like if you've enjoyed it and help us get to 9,000 subs. We're only about 20 or so away now, so please continue to help support the channel. And as always, keep following us down the Arsenal Way.